Good morning, church. Well, like Mr. Warren said, I obviously am not Pastor Marvin. I'm Pastor Maddie. I'm usually back there with the kids, the kids' pastor. But today, my mom and my sisters and Miss Di get to take over for me back there teaching the kids. So if you see them, just thank them because they're shepherding those kids back there. And you wouldn't believe how much those kids love the Lord. So when you see them, just tell them thanks for not just, not just not babysitting them, but pouring out their hearts and teaching those kids. So I, you know I love coming up here to preach. I thank Pastor every time he allows me to come up here. It's such an honor to stand in front of you and share with you what God has given me. So I feel like preaching this morning, if that's okay with you. I come from a background of, you know, Southern, Pentecostal, Holy Roller preachers. My grandparents are pastors. My great-grandparents went from the East Coast to the West Coast planning, preach, or planning churches. So they got, I grew up around that old-fashioned, you know, Southern preaching. And I feel, like, I feel like preaching like that this morning, if that's okay. All right, so I'm going to preach you a sermon that God gave me called Breaking the Box. And it's in, from Luke 7 verses 36 through 39. A pretty well-known passage of scripture. If the words alabaster box or alabaster jar ring a bell, that's what we're talking about this morning. So just just 36 through 39 in chapter 7. Not the whole thing, not the whole rest of the story. We're going to get all we need from these four verses. So it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. God, I thank you for what you're going to speak today. I thank you for bringing everyone here, God, waking everybody up this morning, putting your breath in our lungs. God, speak through me. So what you want to say can be heard in your name. Amen. So the first thing we have to know about God is God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. But God is also a creator. God speaks with absolute intention. What does that mean? That means that he didn't make anything by mistake. We hear that a lot, like, oh, I'm a mistake. I I was made by mistake. I wasn't wanted. I have kids in the back that say that, like, my parents didn't mean to have me. I was a mistake. No, 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 no. God is intentional with everything. He doesn't make anything by mistake. So not only does he not make anything by mistake, he makes things with intention, but he also made everything with dependence. There is no such thing as independence in the kingdom of God. What? It's true. There's no such thing as independence in the kingdom of God. In order to get somewhere with God, you cannot get there by yourself. In order for this church to get somewhere with God, you cannot get there by yourselves. It's not by our might that we do things. It's by God's. That's why you have to be careful with your connections. 
but the people you hang out with, the relationships you have. Because every connection that you build has some form of dependence connected to it. The, boi- the Bible says every joint supplies. What do we call that? We call that reciprocity, right? Reciprocity. With every connection you make, there'll be something coming to you and something going from you. And if you're not careful, you can become emotionally empty and bankrupt. We see that happen all the time. You're hanging out with certain people that just take, 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 take. But maybe the stuff that they give back to you isn't stuff that's helpful to you. It's stuff that's going to take even more from you. The stuff that they're giving you is actually just going to double what they're taking. That's why we have to be so cognizant and so careful with every connection you make. So before you get in any type of relationship, ask questions. And it's so easy to have friendships these days now, right? I have that problem with my kids at school all the time. Oh, yeah, we're friends. We're friends. I'm like, really? What do you know about them? Oh, no, we're friends on Facebook. I follow them on Instagram. But even as adults, we have the same problem. It's so easy to just answer a friend request on Facebook when you know really nothing about the person. You see that you have mutual friends, five mutual friends. Okay, great. But what happens when that person starts talking to you? And they're asking for things. They're taking stuff that you would have never, never normally give. Real relationships aren't social media relationships. They're going to affect you positively or negatively. Even your best friend. If your best friend that you've had since you were five years old and now you're 35, if they start going a different direction from you and where you're going with God, Maybe it's time to ask some tough questions. So my mom tells me, and all my sisters, when you are looking at relationships, be it an actual relationship or even just a friendship, make a list. The Bible says come boldly before the Lord. So why should that be any different with those connections you're making and those people you're hanging out with? She said make a list, even if it's for a friendship. What questions do you ask? Are you saved? Not just like, you know, oh yeah, I'm saved. I mean, are you saved? Do you go to church? Do you just go to church on Sunday morning or do you go to church on Wednesday night too? Are you part of a connect group? Do you do devotions in the morning? Do you, do you praise God in your car? Who do you hang out with? Who's your grandma? Did your grandma go to church? Do you serve in the church? How long have you been serving in the church? Do you enjoy praising the Lord? Those are things that you need to ask before you're ready to dive into a relationship with someone, even if it's someone that you just go out to coffee with because you're having conversations, and conversations lead places. So you need to be conversing about godly things, things that will grow you in the Lord, not take things away from you. Don't hang out with people who will deplete you. Hang out with people going the same direction. If you tell them, my calling, God's calling on my life is going, taking me here, and they're going the complete opposite direction, they're just going to keep trying to pull you back and pull you back and pull you back. You become dependent on them. And everything in the kingdom is based on dependence. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Maddie? How do you know that everything's dependent on God? Well, when God was creating the universe, he created land. He created the sea, he created the air, 
And as he began to create those environments, he began throwing things into them. In the ocean, he began to throw fish. In the air, he began to throw birds. On the land, he put grass and flowers and animals that would feed off of the grass. But everything that he created, whatever it came out of, it was dependent on it to live. A fish cannot survive without the ocean. A bird cannot survive without the air. It can't fly. It can't fly on the ground. It flies in the air. Grass cannot grow without the soil and the systems in the ground that it needs for nourishment. Animals can't eat the grass if there is no soil. Everything that God put in the environment was dependent on where it came from. Did you know when a bird flies, it's called the glory of the bird? When they fly, it's called the bird's glory. Well, what does that mean? That real glory is expressed when you're in the right environment and you start expanding on your potential. That means that God's glory isn't just goosebumps. It's not just a feeling. It's God sitting down within his people and manifesting him, himself to a great extent. So God does all these things. He throws the fish in the water and the birds in the air and the grass in the ground. But when it came time to create you, to create man, and I've said this when I've preached before, he didn't look at the ground. He didn't look at the ocean. He didn't look at the air. The Bible says he looked at himself. He spoke to himself and pulled you out of himself. And that is why man will always be dependent on God. Because we did not come out of the ocean. God did not throw us into the ocean. He pulled you out of him. So that means that you can do it your way. You can do it however way you want. But at the end of the day, you will always need God. Adam was dependent on God. And they walked together. Can you imagine just Adam and God, God and Adam, just walking along, no care in the world, no sin, nothing. Adam, and he didn't need clothes because the very breeze and the air of God always let him know that God was there. But then sin comes in. And what does sin make us do? It makes us hide our flesh. Why does Satan make us hide our flesh? When we have things on hiding our flesh, it's harder to feel that breeze. It's harder to feel that God is there, that God has already forgiven you, that God loves you. But the only thing God said, Adam, I'm giving you dominion over all of this. But he did demand one thing. He demanded worship. If you want someone to do something, try praising them. Have you ever tried that? Instead of like nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging, praise them instead. You know, how I don't, I don't have any kids besides my kids in the back, so I always use my dog in my sermons, right? Most preachers, you know, use their wife or their families. I use my dog. So there was a study I was reading a couple days ago, a study that came out from the Veterinary Society that said... There's a new way of training your dog from years and years of research. They said only use praise and positive reinforcement. Not negative, not slapping their nose, not yelling at them, because that's not going to get you anywhere. When you praise them, you're teaching your dog to sit, and they finally sit, praise them. 
Why? Because they know. They're smart. They know. Oh, I like that. They like that. Let me do it again. You think I can sit? Let me lay down too. See where that gets me. Uh, lay down. Now I'm going to roll over. It works. Praise works. When you start praising someone, if you have kids and you say, oh man, that's a good job carrying in all my stuff from the car. That's a great job. I had no idea you could carry two bags. What's your kid going to say? Oh, no, 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 no. I can carry more than two. I can carry three bags. I'll carry three. Watch. Now I'll carry four. Because you're praising them. They're knowing. They start to, you know, flex their muscles a little bit. Like, oh, no, no, no. Two? I can do three. I can do four. It's no different with God. When you start praising and worshiping God, God starts flexing his muscles on your behalf. And when you praise God, there is no way that God won't show up. He won't. There's no way he's not going to be there. If you're praising, if you're down on your knees, or even if it's just a simple, hallelujah, God, thank you for this. There's no way that God is not going to show up for you. But that means you have to learn how to praise God, not just at church. You got to praise God in your car. Learn how to praise God in your car. If you're going from point A to point B and it's going to take you 15 minutes, pray. Turn on some worship music. Create your own worship music. Just praise God for who he is and what he does. Rather than, I know a lot of people like to talk on the phone in the car. Some, I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I do it too. I want to get all my phone calls done before I get home. But take that quiet to just spend with God. When you're at the store, learn how to praise God. Thank you, God, that there is milk on the shelves that I need. Some people don't have it. Thank you, God, for giving me a car to get to the store. Some people don't have that. You have to learn how to worship at work. That's a hard one. We don't like people looking at us. You got worship music playing at your desk? Play it. You want to take your Bible out during your break and read God's word? Worship. Because God will never deny a worshiper. How do you know that? Look at David. David was a sinner, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar. But the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David knew, I know I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, but I'm still going to worship you because I know that I need you. That's what God wants. God wants people who will praise him and worship him, not just on a Sunday and a Wednesday, Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but continually, continuously, because God is continuous. God doesn't stop. God doesn't end. So our worship of him should not end either. The object of man is to mimic the praises in heaven. So it just, it turned out funny that this morning we were singing exactly Holy, holy, holy. Did you know that since time began, that is the song that they sing in heaven continually? Holy, holy, holy. It's been the same song for all of eternity. So all you guys who are like, oh my goodness, how many times are we going to sing the bridge of this song? Can we move on? We get it. We get it. We get it. Holy, holy, holy. You better get used to it. Because that's all you're going to hear in heaven is holy, holy, holy. And like, well, why don't they stop singing it? Because each time the angels circle the throne, there's a part of God that they'd never seen before. Just like a gem, 
like a multifaceted gem that when they circle, they see something else. So they start singing again, holy, holy, holy. God is infinite. He's so big. So by the time they get around, there's something they've never seen. So they start praising him again, again, and again, and again for all of eternity. That means that the more you worship, the more you'll see of God. The more you worship God, the more you'll see. Because God desires praise. Well, how do you know that? Back to David. God got rid of one king, and he anointed a little shepherd boy in a field that nobody knew and nobody cared about because that little shepherd boy, with his flock of sheep, when all his brothers and everyone else is in town fighting and everything else, he was out there with his little harp, singing dancing before the Lord, writing songs, praising God, didn't care what anyone else thought. It was him and God. And God said, that is a man after my own heart. That is who I want as king. And what was David doing when he was worshiping? Worship always starts with one word, seek. David was seeking God. He was seeking the presence of God. When we pray, when we come to church, we seek God. We pray, help us seek your presence. Like hide and seek. You have to find it. You need to seek it because it might not be visible. Worship might end with an encounter, but it starts with seeking. But this is where we run into a problem because we think we know God. You guys probably aren't going to like me this morning. How can, we, how can we seek God if we think we already know God? Now, let that sit in for a minute. How can we seek him if we think we already know him? We walk around telling people, yeah, I know God. I know God. Yeah, I know God. But we really don't. Some of us don't even know our friends. Some of us don't even know much about our family members. But then we think we know God, the God who created the universe, who speaks and things happen, who just says one word and a blind man gets, or can see and a paralyzed man gets up and walks, but we think we know God as well as we know other people? We don't. But somehow we've equated knowing church and knowing religion and knowing words to a worship song and knowing the order of service that they sing these worship songs, and then there's a prayer, and then there's announcements, and then there's a sermon, and then there's an altar call, and then I go home. We equate that with knowing God. Even in the Bible, if you want some scripture to back it up, in Exodus 33:13, Moses says, God, you know me, but I don't know you. You know everything about me, but I don't know you. And then look at Paul, Paul, who wrote like pretty much all of the New Testament, who had all these experiences on the road to Damascus and saw Jesus and was bitten by a snake and didn't die and all these things that happened to Paul and his whole life was dedicated to the ministry. His one of his final words to sum up his whole ministry were, oh, that I might know him. That's Paul. Most people are nothing like Paul. Look at what happened to that guy. Imprisoned multiple times. 
just for preaching. We don't have that problem here in America. You don't get thrown in jail for preaching the gospel at Walmart. That's not what happens. It happened to Paul. He literally saw Jesus. And he still said, oh, that I might know him. We don't know God. Maybe we don't seek God because we think we already know him. So maybe that's why God will hide himself sometimes. Because it's only when you seek him that he can be known. So that means God is looking for a people who are going to worship him. You know, today's day and age, we have every church has a worship leader, right? We have a worship team. We've gotten to the point where we need other people to lead us in worship. Not that I don't love Pastor Kevin and the whole worship team, but we need people to lead us in worship. The original intention of the church was for people to lead themselves in praise and worship. That means that on your way here, you would have already had a praise and worship session, and you would have come in with the glory of God following you, and then when you got here, then stuff would begin to happen. That you wouldn't need a team to say, okay, God, come on, come on, come on. You would have already done it yourself. That's what we need to get back to. Learning how to worship, learning how to do it ourselves, not waiting for Pastor Kevin to start singing a song about the goodness of God. For you to say, okay, I know how to do this now. All right, God, come on. No, you need to learn how to do it yourself. And if we've done that to worship, that also means we've also started to turn preachers into entertainers. The call of a preacher in the fivefold ministry wasn't to entertain you, but to equip you for the work of the ministry. It's not the pastor's job. It's not my job. It's not Pastor Marvin's job to go out and win a bunch of souls, but to give you the tools that you need to do so. So that when you go to the store tomorrow or when you go to work tomorrow, you can say, I've got this in my toolbox. I've got this, 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 this. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what my job is. That's what we do for the kids. I have kids coming in to tell me, Pastor Maddie, there was a kid sitting alone last week at lunch, and because we talked about this on Sunday, I went and talked to them about Jesus. If a kid can do it, a little kid who's in the third grade can recognize, okay, I know how to do this because I was taught. I have this in my toolbox. I can just pull out this. I can reference this scripture. I can relate them to this story in the Bible. If a kid can do it in the third grade, nine, eight years old, with only that much experience, so can you. When we turn a service into entertainment, you stop being a participant and start becoming a spectator. And when you become a spectator, you start to recline, reclining in your chair, and take for granted a God that you need to be seeking. Instead of saying, I love you, God. Thank you, God. I love you. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for letting me be here. It's impress me. Do this. Do that. We've grown too familiar with God to the point where we're no longer impressed by a Savior who gave everything for us. Just that alone should be enough to have you praising for the rest of your life. 
If God never did anything else for you, Jesus dying for you is all you need. That should be enough to continually praise God, even if everything else in your life gone wrong. If you have Jesus, you have everything. We say, entertain me, entertain me. I don't like that song. Who cares? It's not for you. I don't like that preaching this morning. Okay, wasn't doing it for you. We say, entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. And God is saying, no, seek me, seek me, seek me. Our comfort is killing our encounter with God. We become so comfortable that his presence no longer seems as important as it once was. Did you know it's possible for God to show up, but your familiarity with church will stifle your desire to see him? You'll come to church thinking, okay, we got to do worship. Then I got to sit and listen to a sermon and be out in an hour and a half so I can go to lunch. God's presence, you know, oh, God will be there. But his presence doesn't mean as much as it should, as much as it used to. Think about when you were first saved, and that's all that mattered was praising and thank you for bringing me out of this mess that I was in. But then as the years go by, we get so comfortable that we forget that. We forget that point where we started, where Jesus was everything to you. But the world got in the way, and you became so familiar with just church being, okay, Sunday morning I go to church. It's a part of our routine. God cannot just become a routine. That's when you start reclining. Now, what does this have to do with our text? I promise. I promise. We're going to talk about it. So the text opens up with some men who are familiar with Jesus. They're familiar with his ministry. They're his disciples, right? Spent every day with Jesus. But they're found reclining. These same men who gave up everything to follow Jesus, they gave up their jobs, they gave up, they left their families, they gave up the careers, they gave up all their money. They're reclining, thinking, Jesus is in this house, oh, it's just another day with Jesus. It's just another day at church, Jesus is here, I'm here, he's sitting, I'm sitting. Let's just go about our day. Sit back and relax. That was their mindset, but is that also the environment of your heart? Reclined in the presence of the Lord? Coming to church, but your mind is somewhere else? Sitting back in your seat saying, oh my gosh, all right, it's, what time is it? 11.15, got a little bit longer, I got a lunch reservation. That's some of our mindset. You're here, but you're not here. You're in the presence of the Lord. You're around other believers. But somehow that doesn't matter like it used to. It's become too familiar. You sit back and during worship, you're sitting like nothing is affecting you. When something good is said or the word of the Lord is read, you're sitting. Silent. Anytime it starts to get too familiar or mediocre, God is always going to send something radical. Did you know that God loves you enough to annoy you? He will. He'll annoy you. So I said my grandma was, you know, Southern Holy Roller preacher. Well, at their church, they used to have Sunday night service. Who's ever been to Sunday night service? Yeah. So Sunday morning is church. But Sunday night, that's church with like a capital C. And when you go to church, 
That's where everything happens on Sunday night. My grandma would say that there would be people who would come in on Sunday morning, and then they would come back on Sunday night who weren't really, you know, not filled with the Spirit and everything. And they, they said they had a little old man on their front row that he, by about the second song that they were singing in praise and worship, which would go on for a long time, that he would take his shoes off because he said his feet would start itching. And he would run around the church praising the Lord. And some people who never been there, they were just sitting and looking at him like, what is going on? He was filled with the joy of the Lord, and he needed to express it. David danced before the Lord, and so did this guy. But then people who were sitting next to him, they're like, What? God won't make you praise radically, but he'll give you a choice by introducing a greater level of it and making you choose. So my grandma would say that those people kept coming back, and a few weeks from then, they were doing the same thing, praising the Lord and running around the church because they made that choice. They decided, I'm not going to sit here and be mediocre. Why do I care what anyone else thinks about me? I feel the joy of the Lord. I'm going to dance. I'm going to run. I'm going to praise. It didn't matter. That's what we have to do here, too. That's not just for a Sunday night service. Why can't that be Sunday morning service? Why can't that be Wednesday night? Why can't that be at your home? Why not? Why isn't it that a Sunday morning worship isn't just a few people just, just really feeling it? Why isn't it everybody? God's done something for each one of you. Right? Has God done something for everybody? Okay. So if that's the case, then how about... I'm going to put each, like a worship leader on each row. So each row has to decide, okay, that's my worship leader. That's my worship leader. This row isn't just going to sit there and do nothing when God is around. This row is not going to do nothing. I'm going to give God everything I've got. So if you can, if you are able, and if God has done anything for you in your life ever, why don't you take 10 seconds, stand to your feet if you can, praise, sing, dance, give God the worship that he deserves. Let it be the biggest praise you've ever done. Thank him for what he's done. Make the choice to not be familiar. You might be saying, there's someone who's a little too loud on my row. Oh, well, that's God annoying you. That's God saying, there's the radical person. There's the person who's on that next level of praise. You can either make the choice to be mediocre and sit, or you can join them, and then you'll both go to the next level. All right. So in the text, God had enough of mediocre, so he sent something radical to force mediocre to make a choice. Who's the mediocre? The disciples. God won't make you praise radically, but he's always going to give you a choice. Right? We have free will. He'll show you, but you have that choice. You know, we live in Florida, and in a couple months, that wonderful thing called hurricane season will start again. And I love the weather. Like, I think it's fascinating. But in a hurricane, did you know that fish and birds survive by either flying high, way above the clouds, or diving deep? The only thing that gets destroyed and impacted by a storm is that which decides to stay at the surface. So you might be blaming a pastor, you might be blaming someone else, but are you taking yourself into a storm by staying on the surface instead of diving deeper or going higher? 
by just sitting, you're staying at the surface. So in our text, through the doors comes a sinner woman. And the Bible is very specific, calling her a sinner woman. She knew who she was, and everyone else did too. God brought a worshiper that didn't look like anybody else. Maybe we're thinking, oh, a worshiper has to be someone who's been at church for 20 years. Grew up in church, their grandparents grew up in church, they've served at church, they wear a nice suit to church. This lady looks nothing like a worshiper. Sometimes God will bring a drug addict in who just needs Jesus and will run to the front because he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He says, no, I need Jesus. That's who I'm here for. The Bible admits that she was a sinner woman. She knew who she was and where she was. You know, sometimes we can't get free because we're not honest about where we really are. We'll say, oh, no, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. But inside, you're still wrestling with things. Once you're honest, watch what God will do. Don't put up a front. So she bursts in the door. Just imagine this sinner woman bursts into the Pharisee's house. And everyone else is just sitting. So they had to make a choice. They either had to join her or judge her. Join her or talk about her. Did you know that if you want to kill a move of God, start judging who God brings into the church. If God brings in a drug addict, if God brings in a prostitute, if God brings in someone who's beating on his wife, start judging him. See how fast that move of God dies. God didn't bring her in for them to judge her. He brought her in for them to join her. She had no care except getting to where Jesus was. We have to learn how to move past what other people are saying on our way to Jesus. So when people are talking about you at work, because like, this person talks about Jesus too much, just say, all right, get out of my way. I'm going to Jesus. When people at school that's what I tell my kids. If people are talking about you, say, excuse me, because I know where I'm going. Push past them. Push past them. Because they don't have what you need. She knew that. She said, all these people sitting here judging me, they don't have what I need. I know where I'm going. I know who I'm going to. So if she had to step over some feet, if she had to move their chair out of the way a little bit, she'd just say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm going to Jesus. That's what we need to do. She stepped over everyone else just to worship Jesus like he deserved to be worshipped. And then the Bible says that she came to the back of him. Listen to that again. She came to the back of him. Not she came back to him. People think, oh, it's a comeback for this woman, right? She's leaving her life of sin. It wasn't a comeback. It was a setup. By going to the back of him, she was changing her posture. She was in alignment with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, how can you follow Jesus if you're not behind him? How can you follow Jesus if you're ahead of him? You have to get behind him to move with him. Like follow the leader. You know, preschoolers play follow the leader. How can you follow the leader if the leader's here, but you're all the way over there? That's not following the leader. That's looking at them from a distance, but it's not following him. 
You have to get behind him to move with him. The real call of discipleship isn't just following Christ. I'm like, what? It's imitating Christ. Yes. And how can you imitate if you're not intimate with Jesus? How can you say, God is telling me this, when God is here and you're 50 yards away? That's not intimacy. That's when things start to go wrong. That's when you start to tell people, God told me this, but God didn't really tell you that. Because you're not close enough to know what God is actually saying. You can't imitate Jesus if you're standing far away. So she positions herself behind him in a new posture and seeks him. She was seeking him. And in her hand was an alabaster box. So we're all, we're all container and we're all content, right? That's how we can think of ourselves. She brought in a container with its content a box full of fragrant oil. Everyone, each one of us, is full of the fragrance that God desires. But a lot of the times, we don't break the box open because we don't see the worth of our content. We don't see the worth of what's inside of us. We think, I'm not good enough. I'm broken. Who would want that? It's not fragrant. It smells. God put it in you. God created you intentionally, not mistake. So what you have in you is the very fragrance that God wants. Why would God want the content when I'm nothing more than the box? She wasn't coming in with just herself. The box was her life. It was her life, but it wasn't her identity. She came in to see if everything she thought she wanted was greater than who she thinks Jesus is. And the closer she got to Jesus, pushing past those people, the more she realized that what she had in her hand could not compare at all to the value of who was by her feet. And that's what happens when real worship is in a room. There's an exchange of values. What you thought was so important really isn't. Because if you've got Jesus sitting there, you've got everything you need. If you come to church thinking, well, this is on the top of my list. This is the most important thing right now. As you get immersed more and more in his presence, you realize, why am I so worried about that? I don't need to worry about that. Jesus is here. Jesus is going to take care of it. Jesus is everything that I need. Because Jesus is more valuable. Jesus is more valuable than what you brought in. And she realized that. So she realized, you know what? Because he's more valuable, she didn't just open the box. She broke it. Why is it so important that she broke it? Wouldn't it have been easier just to open it and pour the oil out? Because if you can open it, you can close it. That's what a lot of people do. Open your worship. Open the box for two hours on Sunday and two hours on Wednesday. And then close it. Open it on Sunday. Close it Monday, Tuesday. Open it on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's still closed. God doesn't want an open and closed worshiper. He wants a broken worshiper. She didn't just open it and pour it out. She broke it. 
She couldn't go back. There was no putting that oil back in the jar. We did a, an object lesson with the kids a couple months ago, talking about we had um, toothpaste. Um, toothpaste. And I said, okay, we're going to have a competition. Whoever can squeeze all the toothpaste out of the tube the fastest wins the first round, and then we're going to do a second round. So the kids are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They love that, of course, squirting, squirting toothpaste out onto a plate. Total fun. And then I said, okay, now the second round, you got to put it all back in the tube. The like, what? Pastor Marty, we can't do that. Yeah, you can't. Why? Some things you cannot put them back. When she broke that box, she couldn't gather up the oil and say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to pour all this out. I only meant to put a little bit out. Let me, let me scoop it up and see if I can, you know, put the pieces back together. They didn't have Ziploc bags back then. She couldn't just scoop it up and put it in the bag. But that's what a lot of us do. We're an open and closed type of worshiper. That goes back to learning how to worship everywhere. When you're worshiping everywhere, you're not opening and closing. You're broken. But a lot of people don't like to do that. Because when you're broken, when you break the box, you lose control. You can't control how the oil spills. It's going to come out how it wants to come out. And real worship comes out of our insecurities and our pain, what we are giving to the Lord, what we're asking him to take from us, what we're worshiping him for. She refused to be an open and closed worshiper, so she broke it. When she broke that box, it's permanent. She couldn't go back. Before you decide to break your box, make sure you're okay with being a radical worshiper. Right? Make sure you're okay with, okay, on a Sunday morning, if everyone else is sitting here being quiet, I'm still going to be a radical worshiper. Because it's not for them. It's for him. So you have to decide. Are you going to open and close that box every week? Or are you going to say, that's enough? I'm tired of being mediocre. God, I'm breaking my box. However it comes out is how it's going to come out. That's what we need. We need more people who are going to raise their hands and dance. And that's what we do with the kids. Their kids, yes, yeah, so we try and get some of their movement out. But they dance before the Lord. They sing. They jump. They raise their hands. Why? Because they don't care. They know they're doing it for God. So sometimes there'll be a kid sitting there like, like this seeing all their friends dancing, and they'll say, like, why are they dancing? Said, because they love the Lord. They love Jesus. They're going to dance because they want to show him. They're not going to stop. We sing this one song that says, like, I will become even more undignified than this, and it says it, like, 20 times. And as they keep on saying it, the kids start jumping up and down more and getting louder and singing more because they will, and they don't care. They don't, they're not looking at what everyone else is saying. They're not even looking at the kid that's sitting there with his arms crossed. Because you know what? By the end of that song, that kid with his arms crossed is jumping up and down too. Because they decided, I'm going to be a radical worshiper. Because God deserves that. When she broke the box, she didn't just break it. But she started using her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. See, in the Bible days, girls didn't let down their hair. That wasn't a thing. Like, this wasn't a thing. 
because the woman's hair was her glory. It was the woman's glory. But by taking down her hair, she was saying that she was done with her glory and was giving Jesus all the glory he deserved. But her hair was still under his feet. Sometimes you just got to let your hair down. That's where God will begin to increase. He will begin to increase. You will decrease, but he will increase in you as well. Let your hair down sometimes. Seriously. Don't be so uptight sometimes. You're in the presence of the Lord. Praise him. Be thankful. Be thankful that you have the freedom to praise the Lord. Because we know right now there's some places in the world where they don't have that freedom. But they still do it. They might not be able to play loud worship music and sing and dance freely. You can. Give God the praise that he deserves. So it looks like, if you're thinking, that she lost the oil that she brought, right? She broke, she broke it. It's all over. But she didn't. She didn't lose it. Because when she walked out the door, the same oil was still in her hair because she washed Jesus' feet with it. See, when you praise radically, you don't lose anything. You take it with you, and not only do you take it with you, you give it to others because everywhere that that lady started to go, they could smell the fragrant oil that she had washed Jesus' feet with. That would stay. They could smell the worship. God shifted that entire environment permanently. What do you mean? This is my last point. Jesus said that the woman would be remembered. One small moment. It's only four verses in the entire Bible. And God said that that was important enough to be remembered forever. One moment turned into a memorial. But why? What are we missing? What did we miss? I asked God, I'm like, okay, what, what's missing? See, after everyone had already left, everyone saw her, everyone heard her, everyone, he, Jesus felt her hair on her feet. After everybody left, the smell of the oil was still in the room. So whatever smell was in that room before began to be overtaken by the oil from that woman's alabaster box. See, worship starts in the visible, but its effects continue on into the invisible. So when you're worshiping, you feel the presence of God. You're worshiping with all your heart. And when you leave, other people begin to feel it too. Other people who are around you, if you're a continuous radical worshiper, other people might say, man, why do I feel so happy? Because what's in you, what's inside of you, doesn't just stay here. It permeates around the oil that you broke, that you released, the fragrance. Other people can smell it. It might be invisible, but it's still there. You can shift an entire room with your worship. You can shift an entire city with your worship. Pastor said that this year is the year of overflow. In order for it to be overflow, you need to break the box. If we're an open and closed church, how is anything going to overflow? If the lid is closed, nothing can come out. 
But when you break it, God will start refilling it and refilling it, and it will spill. It will trickle out. It will reach every corner of the city because this church isn't for us. It's for the people who need it. It's to bring in those who need God. We already have Jesus. They don't. Break your box so that your oil, the fragrance of God, can drip everywhere. Reach the farthest corner of the city. Reach the biggest drug addict that's on the street. But when you walk by, they're like, man, what is that? What is that? I got to go where that is. What is going on? Worship, worship, worship. God will use your worship to shift the atmosphere of this church, of this city. And that's what God told me to tell you this morning. God is looking for someone to break the box. He's looking for someone to say, I'm not just going to be open and closed anymore. I'm done with that. I'm done with mediocre. Let me be the radical worshiper that other people are looking at. Let me be that person who says, God, I'm not going back to that. I have decided that by breaking the box, this is a permanent change. I am going to be a continuous worshiper. At work, I'm going to worship you. When I come to church, I've already had my worship session in my car. But when I come in, it's just going to go from one level to the next. Others are going to look at me, but I don't care because I am worshiping you. God is looking right now for people who are going to be like that woman and break their box. God wants the oil that you have inside of you. It's a fragrance that he created. Maybe your fragrance, your troubles, your insecurities are something that someone else can relate to. But how can you help if your oil is stuck inside, if you close the lid? So if everyone can stand with me, I wasn't going to do this, but I felt God telling me to. God is looking for people to break your box. So picture right now all the oil you have in you, all the junk, all the good, all the bad, everything that you need to give to God, picture it in a box. God wants it. It's fragrant to God. You might not think so, but the content of what you have inside of you is precious to God. And you have to decide right now, because it is a permanent change, that you are going to break that box. And by breaking the box, that'll mean that all those insecurities are going to come out. How they manifest, I don't know. You can't control it. Maybe it'll cause you to raise your hands in worship. Maybe just being released of that will cause you to get up and run around the church. Maybe you'll be so joyful that you just can't contain it. God is looking for a people to bring this church into an overflow season. But first you have to break the box. So if you decide, God, today's the day. I'm done with reclining. I've had enough of that. I'm going to be a box breaker. Here is my box. I am throwing it to the ground. 
If you are ready to throw your box to the ground, no going back to mediocre. From now on, you are a radical worshiper of the King. On the count of three, I want you to come to this altar as a sign that God, a physical sign, God, I am breaking the box. We might not have a physical box with us, but by coming out, you're saying, God, it's gone. All the oil is everywhere. And when that oil starts to come out, other people will start to feel its effects. Your worship could do wonders. So on the count of three, if you decide, I am going to break my box, come up here. One, two, three. Break the box. Break the box. Come on, church. If we want this church to go somewhere, you got to break the box. Break it. Come up here and worship God like you've never worshiped him before. You're not a mediocre worshiper anymore. You are a radical worshiper. Give God the praise that he deserves. Break it. Break it. Break it. Let it spill out. Let the oil spill out. Sing. Dance. Raise your hands. Praise God like he deserves to be praised. God, we are breaking our boxes right now, God. We are not a reclining church. We are not a church that will sit in your presence, God, but we will stand before you. We will raise our hands before you. We will worship you with everything that we have, God. God, we will be filled with your Holy Ghost. God, we'll speak in tongues to worship you when we can't find the English words to say anymore. God, our oil will permeate this city. We'll reach the drug addicts. We'll reach the prostitutes. We'll reach the people who are in abusive relationships. God, we give you all the praise. We are breaking it right now. Church, I feel it breaking right now, God. I feel it breaking. No more mediocre. This will be a worshiping church that gives you all the praise, that doesn't settle for your just your presence, God, that your presence doesn't become familiar, that it becomes an honor that we usher in each week. God, that when we get here, your presence is already here because we have worshiped before. God, that all our insecurities are gone right now. Take it all, God. You have all of our content. You have everything in us. Sing out, church. Sing. Sing.